are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Brian Peacock here with you on this Monday edition of the show. My guest today is David Newman. He is an analyst at Pro Football Focus, also a co-host of the Better Rivals podcast, which covers the 49ers. He wrote an article at PFF previewing free agency, so we're going to get into some of that stuff. I was going to talk a lot about cornerbacks and possible fits at the corner position for the 49ers in free agency. Uh, so now the big news is Richard Sherman. So we're going to have to get into that signing, which is quite a turn of events for 49ers fans to now embrace Richard Sherman into the 49ers family. So uh, that's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be difficult, I think, for some fans, and they're going to have to wait to, for him to make some plays in red and gold before uh, they're able to really embrace that and wrap their minds around Richard Sherman now being a member of the 49ers. But we'll talk to David about that. Is cornerback done now in the free agent market? Uh, and other positions the 49ers could be targeting this week in the legal tampering period or on Wednesday when signings can become official and the new league year begins. Get your mailbag questions in in advance for Tuesday's episode of Locked On 49ers. We will talk about all the rumors and stuff we learned from Monday's legal tampering period. Maybe some imminent signings to report as well. Hit me up on Twitter at BDPeacock or email the show LockedOn49ers at Gmail. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the show. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We are everywhere you can find podcasts. Also, head on over to LockedOn49ers.com to find links to the streams of the show. You can find where to subscribe there and uh, tons of other articles happening at LockedOn49ers.com. So for those of you who don't know and were just gearing up for Wednesday's free agency period to begin, there is a legal tampering period that goes for 48 hours. So Monday, I believe it's at 10 a.m. Pacific time, uh, Monday and Tuesday, legal tampering so teams can start contacting players. And we're going to start hearing a lot about who's talking to who and maybe have some signings to report as early as the beginning of when, when those tampering uh, connections can start and teams can start actually talking to agents about deals if they haven't already, which is why this legal tampering period uh, exists. And uh, they were probably talking anyways, but um, just don't get caught doing it, right? We've heard too many rumors about who's involved with who and who's going to be going hard after who. There's got to be some sort of back-channel negotiations already going on, especially when the signings happen so quickly. And that's how it used to be, so that's why they wanted to have the tampering period because it was always odd when, you know, at 3 p.m. or 1 p.m., the free agency period opens and players are already signed. It was like, no way you negotiated it that fast, so something's going on. So now there's a legal tampering period for two days uh, before Wednesday's new league year begins and players can officially be signed. Um, some rumors out there involving the 49ers. Jason Locke on Fora did report that the 49ers are expected to go hard after Allen Robinson, but that he would have other suitors. The Browns, the Bears, Ravens were another team uh, that could be involved there. So I don't know, you know. John Lynch talking about being aggressively prudent. Being aggressive is, you know, bringing in Richard Sherman. Uh, that's that's an aggressive move that was kind of shocking, and they brought him in very quickly, basically the day after he was cut by the Seahawks. Uh, but being prudent is another thing. So getting in a bidding war for wide receiver is not something I expect the 49ers to do. But if Parag can work his magic like he has with many other contracts, including the Richard Sherman contract that I'm going to talk about in just a second, then it could make a lot of sense if this is the place that Allen Robinson wants to be. But the newest 49er 
Richard Sherman. Some more details leaking out about his contract that was a reported three years, $39.1 million deal. And, of course, the number that's thrown out there first uh, by the agent, usually Richard Sherman acting as his own agent, so throwing that number out there. Uh, usually there's there's more to it than that, and that was absolutely the case with this deal. Uh, this from a Pro Football Talk looking at the numbers. Uh, the bottom line, so it was supposed to be $5 million signing bonus. Uh, the full guarantee at signing is actually $3 million. Another $4 million should be earned in 2018 if he passes the preseason physical. After that, it's up to the 49ers as to whether the deal continues into 2019. Uh, the full base value of the deal is $21.15 million. So quite a bit less uh, with another $18 million tied to per game roster bonuses, uh, meeting uh, 90% of playing time incentives per season, uh, an annual Pro Bowl incentive, and an annual All-Pro incentive. So for Richard Sherman to get all $39.15 million over these three years, Sherman would need to play all 48 regular season games, be on the field for at least 90% of the snaps, make it to the Pro Bowl every year, and qualify for the All-Pro team every year. If he did all those things, then sure, throw all the money at him. Give him all $39.15 million. Uh, if not, it could become you know a much cheaper deal for the 49ers. And coming off an Achilles injury like he has, all good reports, medical reports that we've heard have been all good things and positive about that, and he should be ready to go for training camp. But if not, the 49ers have numerous outs in this deal, and it would cost them a lot less than that. So it's a great deal for all sides. I mean, Richard Sherman betting on himself saying, hey, I'm going to earn all this money, so let's go. And so that's a great thing, and that's a great attitude. That's the attitude he brings. That's why the 49ers want him there. And obviously, he fits the prototype of the position in this scheme and he's a great mentor and someone to learn from for Akella Witherspoon on the other side. So it makes a ton of sense. I know it's going to be hard to swallow for some 49ers fans. Some people are already welcoming him with open arms on Twitter. Um, but some people are taking a little bit longer to do that, which is totally understandable. And some Seahawks fans now burning Sherman jerseys, which is always just ridiculous and hilarious. Richard Sherman, in-house. He's a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Let's talk more about him and some other possible free agent additions with today's guest. All right, my guest today is David Newman. You know him from the Better Rivals podcast and his work as an analyst at Pro Football Focus. David, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for joining me again here on Locked On 49ers. Thanks so much for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to have you on and, and talk free agency preview and the 49ers and a few teams around the league getting a little early jump on things. And so... Um, I don't even know how to how to explain the Richard Sherman idea. And when it happens, it's like <laughs> it's like it's like borderline bizarro. And I don't think it will really become reality until we see Richard Sherman wearing red and gold. But what was your initial reaction to Richard Sherman being released and then immediately going to have dinner with Kyle Shanahan? And then what do you think overall about the signing in the fit? Well, I think like so, so as a fan, there's like this emotional side of things that makes it uh, certainly a little bit a little weird. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess to, to leave it at that. But I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to be a little strange to have this guy that you've you know kind of rooted against uh, at, at certain points um, over the past several seasons to now suddenly be on your team. So I get that. Yeah, especially for fans, there's going to be kind of some strangeness there. But I mean, logically, just from what he brings to the table on the field and, and kind of 
looking at things purely through that lens, uh, I think it obviously makes a, t- a ton of sense both for him and, you know, for the team to, to kind of go ahead and make that signing. I mentioned on Twitter, it's like, so fans are, have like this PTSD about it and they, you know, they know Sherman as this one thing, but Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and Robert Sala, especially th- those guys weren't 49ers fans from 2011 to 2016. <laughs> so they don't have that. They only have the, sure. Oh yeah, this guy is the prototype, the template for what we want at cornerback. And so we, when you match that with, and first, can we first just give Prague Marate his due? I mean, he is a wizard uh, doing oh, the cap stuff, and it's been one of the most interesting plot twists uh, to the rise and fall, and then hopefully the rise again now of the 49ers, that Prague was really kind of a hero all along. So when, when you have Richard Sherman, who's the template as the corner in this position, this the biggest position of need for the 49ers, and then you match that with what the contract looks like, where it can be something that the 49ers can easily wiggle out of if Sherman isn't back from that Achilles injury, or he can get paid like the the elite corner that he is. So props to Parag. I got to throw that out there. Definitely, it's 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 a really nice spot to be in when you know, like as uh, when your team makes a signing right, uh, that you very very rarely have to worry about this potentially being bad for the team from like a salary cap perspective in the long term, right? Mm-hmm. There's almost always these sort of outs that are, that are built into the contract or, uh, it, or, or it's just like very reasonably structured, right? With like the Jimmy Garoppolo contract, front loading that deal and putting a lot of money uh, in year one when you have all this cap space that you're almost certainly not going to be able to get through, like doing things like that to keep like, okay, now we have to have this, this large quarterback contract on our books, but we're only going to have really this monster cap hit for one season. And then after that, it becomes a very reasonable deal for the type of quality quarterback that Garoppolo is. And so you just, when you can maintain that sort of cap flexibility, uh, it just always, you know, puts you in this advantageous spot. So I think that's great. Like everything that Marate brings to the table on that front. And then, yeah, again, from Sherman, uh, cornerback to me, especially was the biggest need that they had to address going into this off season. Um, pass coverage is so important to you look at, you know, now things offensively are in a lot better spot. Once you add Jimmy to the conversation and, and suddenly that passing offense with him. And then of course, Kyle kind of building the plan. Uh, you feel really good about where that is, even just as things currently sit, even if you made no additions to the passing game offensively, you can feel pretty good about where that's at. And then the next thing there that you look at, okay, what do we need to do to be able to kind of start piling up wins? It's pass coverage and it's that pass defense. And that's kind of where they uh, were really lacking, I think, currently on the roster and and where those needs were going into this offseason. So having a cornerback like Sherman who has this sort of consistent long-term track record of production, uh, having, the again, the exact same scheme, you don't have to really – do a ton of projection here, right? He's going to come in. He's going to continue to do the same things he's been doing when he was in Seattle. Um, so it's very easy to, to kind of plug him in from that perspective. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's very great from an on-field perspective. Yeah, so instead of getting a Richard Sherman-like cornerback, just get Richard Sherman. And so <laughs> that's so you yeah, have exactly, that need yeah. sort of set. You got your starters. It looks like a good pair with Witherspoon on the other side, and to me, it signals that the 49ers aren't going to spend big on someone like Tremaine Johnson or uh, Malcolm Butler because those guys are, you know, basically at corner now. I think they still have a little bit of need there in free agency, but 
it's a situation where what cornerback is going to want to sign that expects to be a starter day, uh, week one. So uh, that means they're going to have to go down the list a little bit. Do you see any other cornerbacks that you like that the 49ers could still bring in in free agency, or do you think this just uh, becomes a draft need now? I think it would make more sense to go draft. I mean, there, there are a couple other names. You know, it's, it's always a, a little difficult to, uh, to peg exactly where they're going to land because, you know, you see in free agency, all it takes is one team to kind of be willing to, to drastically overpay these guys. Yeah. And so you see, uh, you know, guys get inflated contracts that you don't always necessarily think that they would be deserving of those deals going into it. Um, I think somebody like uh, Rashawn Melvin from Indianapolis was a guy that, uh, seemed to be a good fit. Another one of those taller, longer type of corners um, that does well in press. Uh, he's somebody that has only really had this kind of shorter stint of, uh, of quality play. So to me, that would kind of lend itself to being um, a deal that would be pretty reasonable and would be fairly well below what you would expect the guys like Malcolm Butler and Tremaine Johnson to get. So I think that's somebody, uh, you know, in, in kind of that mold. You're really looking, if you're going to go free agency, I think it, you have to try to find guys who are kind of at the bottom of their value, right? So it, it doesn't make sense now that you've got Sherman in um, to go and spend big money and, and commit a lot of uh, guaranteed money at that position to go get another top-end guy. Uh, so you're looking for guys that have some upside there that, you know, again, have some traits that you like that you think are going to fit into this defense. Um, but because of whether it's recent play that hasn't been great or whether it's some sort of injury, something like that to, to kind of drive down their current costs, I think those would be the guys that maybe you're targeting free agency-wise. But, yeah, I would absolutely be surprised if they didn't uh, come out of the other end of the draft with at least adding another defensive back. So usually free agency, and it looks like that's kind of how th- this regime and, and John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan and – Adam Peters, the way they've gone about this thing in free agency both years is identify what they really need to have and then tick those off and then kind of go forward into the draft. And so, you know, we've seen cornerback now be one of those things. And there's not much out there as a pass rusher. And they've pretty obviously not done anything at guard so far this offseason. They they brought back Daniel Kilgore at center and even Gary Gilliam getting money uh, as a backup offensive tackle. But the, the glaring one to me is they haven't tried to re-sign Brandon Fusco. So to me, that signals they're about to spend in free agency at guard. Do you agree with that? I definitely think it's a possibility. I mean, I don't know that I would even rule out them signing a big-name player, um, you know, like a Josh Sitton, for instance, at guard, and then also still re-signing Brandon Fusco. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, a definitely a solid argument to be made there that you don't have to do that in free agency because this is, uh, you know, supposed to be – a very strong interior offensive line draft class as well. So, you know, you would kind of uh, expect them to maybe dip into that pool a little bit. And so you could certainly make the argument that they don't need to, to go and add a ton of bodies in free agency because they can go and still pick up somebody, a quality player in the draft as well. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they mentioned, right, that there's a number of players that they were looking to still resign. We've seen some of those extensions come through, Um I can understand why Fusco isn't necessarily like at the top of that priority list, but uh, I think he's a player that played surprisingly well last year. You know, he was really one of the only bright spots in the interior offensive line last year. Um, So I think it makes sense that he's unlikely to command any sort of significant money. So 
he's a guy that I wouldn't mind seeing them bring back. And then, you know, if, if you can still bring in somebody at the top end of the market, like a Josh Sitton, great. By all means, like you, you I think you have the money to, to do that because there's not really anybody at edge in this free agency class uh, that should really command a lot of money. Like there's nobody there that you should be jumping out to give a big contract to. So, you know, it becomes a situation where, all right, if we're, if we feel like we can really bring in two, maybe three, top-end guys that are going to get a lot of money. Well, one Sherman's, you know, effectively one of those players, and then now I can either kind of go to guard or does it become somebody like Allen Robinson? Uh, you know, I think all those things are on the table. Personally, I think, yeah, if you're going to go do it, if I feel like I need to bring in another guy, um, guard and, and specifically Josh Sitton is the guy that I would point to there. Okay, yeah, I was going to get to that. So Josh Sitton is your guy over – say, Andrew Norwell. I was kind of looking at Justin Pugh because he has a little bit of that experience playing offensive tackle as well, even though he kind of played it somewhat poorly. Um, But he has experience starting at offensive tackle, but played much better at guard. So I thought that versatility and some athleticism there because he's not the biggest, you know, he's not the mauler type of offensive lineman. Thought he might be a good fit, but then they re-signed Gilliam to be that swing tackle anyway. So maybe that's not so much of a need. Yeah, and I don't know that the contract they gave Gilliam, right? Um, I think it's like, fine, you bring that uh, you make that deal, get him on the roster. You know he's going to be part of the 90-man and be in training camp. Uh, I don't know that there's anything there that's going to say, like, okay, he's guaranteed a roster spot, right? If suddenly you can start bringing in other guys and he's going to be kind of an odd man out, like, that wouldn't be terribly surprising to me. Um, yeah, I think uh, Pew definitely has, you know, some interest there because for the reasons that you mentioned, like, the athleticism makes sense, um, you know, and what they ask their offensive linemen to do. A lot. So I think you, you look at it as a good fit there. The positional versatility is, I think, a, a legitimate plus in this case. I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, uh, um, Zane Beatles and say yes. that, yeah, I can <laughs> play any one of these positions uh, on the offensive line, but I'm not really good at any one of them. Uh, like, that's not really the positional versatility yeah. that you're looking for. <laughs> like, Pew has actually had quality seasons at tackle, right? He came into the league initially played tackle during his first two seasons, did that at a relatively uh, high level. And then, you know, I think his best position is at guard. And so you would look to slot him there, but then yeah, if things, you know, if injuries happen like they did last year and suddenly you need somebody to kick out the tackle, like he's somebody that can actually do that and not be totally terrible. But I think sitting to me is just, uh, I think if you're going to go out and spend, you know, a lot of money at that position, which really isn't a premium position, you want somebody that's just excellent in the pass game, right? That's where the, the value really lies is what you can do as a pass protector. Um, and there's, I mean, really been very few people in sitting class over his entire career as a pass protector at guard. So um, he's really excellent in that regard. He's going to come in, solidify that left guard spot. And it's, it's like one of those things where, I think, again, it's very much from a positional value standpoint. I I understand the questions of, like, maybe not needing to spend a ton of money there. But I think a lot of these, if you go after those top offensive line spots, they tend to be relatively safe acquisitions. So I think Sitton's a perfect example of that where you you pretty much know what you're going to be getting from him when you make that sign. He's going to come in. You know, and it's not that he's, like, a bad run blocker by any means. He's still good there, but he's, he's an excellent pass protector, and I think that's the part that you need to really justify giving a big contract at that position. 
All right, I want to get to some tampering business here. And by the way, you can uh, find a lot of this information and more stuff on David's PFF free agent preview for the 49ers at ProFootballFocus.com. By the way, David Newman, better rivals podcast co-host and analyst at Pro Football Focus, joining me here on Locked On 49ers. You can find him on Twitter at Newman NFL. David, are you as excited as I am for some sweet, sweet legal tampering to get fired up on Monday? It's, yeah, I mean, we can't even wait until the tampering period, right, to, to get going. There's been so much happening. But, yeah, it's going to be fun. I always love uh, this kind of initial wave of free agency when things are just happening at this insane pace. So let, let me ask it this way. Who would David Newman, uh, who would you tamper with first? If you had Prague at your side and the okay from ownership and it's like, okay, you get one, go find me one more big ticket item on Wednesday. Would you go with that guard or would you go talk to Allen Robinson's people first? Man, it's good because just, I mean, before yesterday, I would have said that you need to go after corner, right? Like right. the guy, <laughs> the thing that you have to lock up is getting one of those top two corners. And so for me, it would have been Malcolm Butler. I think now things become a little less pressing. You know, there, there are some options at the top there. Um, sitting to me again is the one that makes, I think most sense. Allen Robinson uh, is great. I love Allen Robinson as a player. I think it's, it's very clear what he would bring to the table, um, you know, for the 49ers, which is he is, is going to be is, is a downfield threat that's a little bit different than somebody like Marquise Goodwin, right? Marquise Goodwin's going to be the guy that takes the top off with that speed, and, and he's, and he's going to be running, you know, when, he, when he's making plays downfield, it's going to be because he's running by guys, not necessarily because he's going up and uh, making a ton of contested catches, whereas Robinson, that's exactly, you know, kind of what the hallmark of his game is, is the ability to go up over the top of guys and, and pull in some of these uh, spots, some of these receptions where he doesn't need to really be open. And, and so, um, you know, I, I am slightly concerned about how much Garoppolo really would take advantage of that type of player. Not because I don't think that he can do it, just because we haven't really seen it, right? Like that was the one area of his game last year that wasn't really there, which was the downfield game. Didn't attempt a ton of passes downfield um, and, and wasn't all that successful when he did try to attempt them. And a lot of the throws that he did make were to guys, you know, there were, there were more of that anticipation, timing stuff, finding guys in openings and zones and, and that sort of thing, not really throwing it up to guys and giving them a chance to make a play on a ball, even though they're, they're probably a little bit covered. Um, so, I mean, the argument against that is, right, maybe they didn't have that player on the roster, so he was justified in not doing it. Um, but, yeah, I do. part of me does wonder if you're, you have to go out and give Allen Robinson, like he's going to command top wide receiver money. And I don't know that what he's done from a production standpoint uh, really fully justifies that. So I'm, I'm a little hesitant there. Um, but I think those are the two names in the conversation for sure. If, you, if you're going out and, again, you want to get another top-end guy in this class, those are the two spots that make the most sense because at the other positions that you really have a need for players, there's just, you know, again, like edge rusher, there's just nobody out there to go and give that type of money to. Yeah. Going back to Jimmy Garoppolo's PFF grades, he was first as a short passer grading for the 2017 season, but 27th intermediate and 28th uh, deep passer didn't, didn't get a lot of uh, deep throws, didn't attempt a ton of them, didn't complete a lot of them. Part of that might be, um, yeah, his receivers. And so you add a little more talent. And But at the same time, he made the guys that were already there look a lot better, and that was even without Pierre Garçon. Yep. And so yep. he also made the offensive line look a lot better. One thing I didn't realize until I believe it was Jeff Dini 
pointed it out after the 49ers re-signed Daniel Kilgore was how much better Kilgore played in those last five games. And so then that makes me feel like, oh, well, maybe you don't need to spend all that money at guard because traditionally that's not where you spend money anyway. If you're building a roster and and there's not actual players and names attached to it, you're just like, okay, ideally, how do you build out this roster? Uh, The 49ers right now have spent a lot of draft capital and are spending a lot of money on the up the middle positions that are they're usually not the best athletes. They're more instinctive positions and uh, positions that uh, usually don't get a lot of money spent on them. At least compared to say edge rushers, wide receivers. You know, aside from quarterback. But um, so guard. If you throw a bunch of money at guard, or let's say you draft Quentin Nelson. I talked a little bit about this with uh, Matt Barrows last week. It's like okay, all of a sudden you have a defensive end that's kind of an interior rusher. You have. Uh, Buckner of the year before that you drafted with the first round pick. You've you drafted a first round linebacker. Now you're spending money at guard. It's like, well, eventually, where's where's that that outside athletic talent going to come from? And they got one of those things uh, knocked off the list there with with uh, Richard Sherman at cornerback. But it almost seems like it, it might be a little bit of baby steps to start the season to try to develop some interior linemen and go with what you got along the offensive line. But it, it would make sense just from a roster building standpoint, maybe to throw that money at say uh, Allen Robinson and try to really uh, solidify that offense and, and have a ton of weapons for Jimmy Garoppolo going forward. Uh, and then maybe spend that first round pick on a pass rusher. If the right guy is there and then double up on offensive line a, a, another center, a guard and some, and try to coach up some positions there and hope you can really make that offensive line good down the road, but not, go over the top by paying a lot now. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm totally on the same page when it comes to, you know, the, the team building standpoint and, and positional value and where you really should be investing a lot of your money. Um, the thing that I typically try to, to keep in mind with free agency and, and also the draft is you don't want to, it's not that you're going like necessarily full on best player available, um, which I think is, is kind of like a, a little bit of a myth. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're also not going totally to need. I think a lot of it is taking into consideration the strengths of the, the particular free agency or draft classes, right? So you look at the free agency class and, like, what are the positions that, that are strong there? And I think, you know, cornerback was one of, the, one of the better positions. I mean, guard is one of the better positions there. Um, and then, you know, receiver could be kind of depending on exactly what you're looking for to, to add at receiver. I think there are some decent options there. Um, but again, edge rusher, there's not a lot of guys. And so you're really kind of reaching. So I, I don't necessarily want to feel like, okay, I need to go and spend a lot of money at this premium position when the class doesn't warrant, you know, spending that money there. So I think with guard, where they're at for, for just this particular season is they have the ability, to, if they go after somebody like Sitton, say, um, to structure that deal in a way that's very similar to Garoppolo's, right? Where, okay, we have a ton of cap space this year. Um, we can really front load that deal, which makes sense on a number of levels, not only from the cap standpoint, but because, um, you know, he is a little bit of an older player, um, which I'm not terribly worried about. You can still see offensive linemen, especially like on the interior, I think, um, continue to play at a high level well into like their mid thirties for, for some of the top end guys. So he's not really, I'm not worried about him falling off a cliff yet, but it's, it's again, if you're going to kind of build in these safety nets for you, you have the ability to front load that deal uh, and, and then have a much more reasonable cap hit from years to and beyond, right? However long you're going to end up having that deal for um, to where you're not really have an outsized portion of your cap going to those non-premium positions beyond this one year. 
Um, but a totally, again, if they went out and signed, decided that that money was going to be better spent on somebody like Allen Robinson, I mean, your pass offense is the number one thing that you need in order to build a consistently competitive team. So bulking up that pass offense, whether it's by going after uh, somebody like Allen Robinson, I think there are some decent running back options as well from a receiving standpoint um, that they could potentially look to add in this. So if they went that route where it's like, okay, we really want to build up uh, the weapons that we have at Garoppolo's disposal, I think there's a, a really strong argument to be made that for offensive line, especially outside of your tackles, um, you really just need to not be terrible there. Like, uh, as long as you're not the Seahawks, you're not the Texans from last year where you're just really horrendous at nearly every spot across the line there, if you can get to that kind of competency point and be good enough, when you have a quarterback like Garoppolo who's, um, you know, very good at being able to kind of navigate pressure and work within the pocket and uh, kind of avoid a lot of that stuff and make your offensive line look a little bit better in protection than it really is, um, I think that route would make a ton of sense. So you mentioned running backs there, and, and I want to get into that just a little bit with uh, with you here, David, before I let you go. And I've been kind of – I'm like one of the most anti-running back guys around. It's not that I don't like good running backs. I just don't like spending oh, yeah. <laughs> at running back at all, whether it's free agency or I think people are crazy drafting running backs in the top five or the top ten of the draft. Um, so with that said, I think the 49ers, you know, a, a Tim Hightower type, they could sign in free agency if they let Carlos Hyde walk. And I, I do think they will likely and probably should let Carlos Hyde walk and see how much money he can get on the free agent market. I think Carlos Hyde would be better off getting as much as he can now as well with his injury history uh, from, uh, you know, shopping himself around the league. But um, Dion Lewis is a name that makes some sense. But again, I, I would be wary of throwing down too much money for a free agent running back. And I would be just fine kind of rolling with maybe just a veteran guy just to, to make sure you have enough numbers going into the draft and then taking a guy in maybe round two at the highest, round three, even round four in the draft. Am I undervaluing it too much? Not at all. I mean, I would honestly even, in most cases, take it a step further. Like, uh, I really don't even want to think, I don't even want to hear, like, the word running back <laughs> in the first round of the draft, right? Like, it's just, uh, I, I think the value there just isn't worth it. Like, what you get in the run game. So I think uh, a great way to illustrate it is uh, the analytics team at PFF has been doing a lot of stuff recently in, in terms of, you know, what, what is actually helping teams win games, right? What aspects of it is, is even drilling down more into uh, the details than just looking at purely, okay, I need offense, defense, or pass offense, pass defense. Um, but it's like what players, you know, what roles. And when you run the ball offensively, that is basically a net negative for your offense. So you're less likely to put points on the board after you run the ball than you would be if you threw the ball. Um, and so from a running standpoint, even the guys at the top end, right, the best of the position, just don't really add the value in that perspective. You can get a little bit better if you have guys that can really contribute in the, the passing game, right? And we've seen that last year you look at a lot of the the notable running back performances in the league last year it's guys like todd Gurley who was great in the receiving game uh guys like alvin Kamara that was great there Deion lewis is one of those names that was uh you know has value in the passing game so that's where you can really look and i think there are some names free agency wise that, that can kind of fit that i mean Deion lewis i'm i'm with you like i i part of me loves the fit and knows that he would just be excellent um in kyle shanahan's offense and, and would really be able to, to do well there but i think you could go after maybe somebody like a jarek mckinnon who 
Uh, I would be very surprised if he costs as much money as Dion Lewis does. He just doesn't really have um, that same sort of track record. And I think whereas Lewis showed a little bit here, especially this past season, that maybe he can be a guy that can take on more carries and, and really be more of a primary back. I'm not sure that people really view McKinnon in that same light. I think they really do kind of peg him as this, oh, he's a change of pace, just receiving type of back. Um, that's what the 49ers really need to, to add, I think. Um, from the running standpoint, I mean, we've seen just for, for decades now the Shanahan family in general and then, you know, running back coach Bobby Turner, who's been there uh, with Shanahan basically his entire career, consistently able to get production from the running game with guys that, you know, are, are just don't cost a whole lot, whether that's late round draft picks or kind of unheralded free agents. Um, they don't need to spend a lot of money there to be good enough in the running game, especially with what they're going to be able to do passing the ball with Garoppolo. So if you do look there, if you do look to the running back spot, um, they don't really have somebody that can contribute in the passing game. I mean, Carlos Hyde, I think that's a big reason why it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring him back is, I mean, he was dead last among running backs in PFF receiving grade and pass blocking grade. Um, and so there's just not a lot of value there from the, the pass game. And that's where you got to look. And I think, yeah, to me, Lewis McKinnon are two names that really kind of stand out in that facet. So let me ask you this. Are you cool with going into training camp with Matt Breida as RB1 and you're good there with maybe, you know, some solid backups to go with him? I think as long as uh, – I mean, I would be a little concerned, uh, and, and I'm as big a Brita fan as, as anybody, um, but I think if you're expecting him to be kind of like the primary um, workload back, like that probably isn't, I don't know, the, the best strategy right now. Um, I think the, the way that would make sense to do it is, is more platoon situation, right, where you're going to have three, maybe four guys that are getting snaps and um, – you know, Brita, again, he doesn't, at least in year one, you know, we'll see if he's able to kind of improve and develop in that area, but not a lot of value in the, the passing game in year one. So I think, you know, they obviously want to still see what they have in Joe Williams, fourth round pick from last year. Um, and then you add, you know, another sort of a day three running back in this year's draft class, uh, class, which again is expected to be another pretty deep running back class. I think you can still find some talent round four, round five. Um, and I, I think if you're going in where, yeah, maybe Brita's like the the one that's going to go out there with the starters, you know, on the first snap of the game, that's fine. But you're you're really expecting it to be more of a three to four running back platoon situation. Uh, I think in the context of this offense and, and what really expecting them to do next year, I think that would be totally fine. Yeah, I fully expect Kyle Shanahan to really uh, thwart all the the fantasy football guys and have some sort of a, a committee going on to start the year before someone really takes over and ends up becoming a stud. But nobody knows who that is going into the season. That tends to be what happens with his backfields. Right. And uh, I'd be surprised if they throw a lot of resources into running back. I, I totally agree with you there. And uh, I also yeah. am a big fan of Matt Breed. I think uh, I think he got a lot more confident. You can just see how he ran towards the end of the year. He was a little bit tentative to start the season, it seemed like, and uh, he was really, uh, in that offense, things were kind of starting to click, and I got excited about that, but uh, I agree. Having a number of guys that can, I I say that I don't want to spend on them, but at the same time, there's no excuse for not having a really good stable of running backs. You see some teams like almost had zero running backs. Like, How could you be that bad at running backs when there's guys like Matt Breida who are undrafted free agents? And one thing that Trent Baalke did that I kind of liked was he drafted a running back every year, 
Uh, he just didn't draft good ones <laughs> all that often. Uh, but I, I kind of like that strategy. So, um, yeah, the running back situation is going to be a fun one to watch. And I, I think whoever ends up winning that job or getting the bulk of the carries is going to have, uh, you know, as Shanahan backs do, uh, have a lot of success for the 49ers. So a position I'm not at all worried about. Uh, David, I'm going to yeah. let you go here. appreciate you joining me on the show. don't want to take you too long. But, um, yeah, have fun with the tampering period on Monday. And then things uh-huh. get real on Wednesday when the league year begins. Uh, David, you can find him on Twitter at Newman NFL. Better Rivals podcast. It's a Niners Nation's official podcast. And, of course, his work as an analyst at Pro Football Focus. David, really appreciate the time, man. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to David for joining me on the show. He's a good dude. We did a little work together at PFF in the past. Always fun to talk to smart football dudes here on Locked On 49ers. That's going to do it. Be back tomorrow. Let's do a mailbag episode. We'll be in prime tampering period, so should be a ton of rumors to talk about on Tuesday's show. So hit me up on Twitter at BDPeacock or email LockedOn49ers at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you guys then right here on Locked On 49ers.